Welcome to Talk Dizzy to Me, the show that brings you a comprehensive look into the complex field of dizziness. Now here are your hosts, vestibular physical therapist, Dr. Abby Ross and Dr. Danielle Tate. Welcome back to Talk Dizzy to Me. I'm your host, Dr. Abby Ross, vestibular physical therapist, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Danielle Tate, also a vestibular physical therapist. And this week, we are addressing a topic that we received in our questionnaire on what our listeners want to hear about, and it is visual vertigo. Yeah, this is actually something that came up often during our conference week as well. We had a lot of questions about things like going to the grocery store and scrolling on your smartphone or your computer. So we wanted to address this topic a little bit more in depth today, talk about what visual vertigo is, why it happens, and you know ways that we can go through treatment for visual vertigo. I do want to mention when we get into how we treat it, this is in no, in no way, shape, or form are we recommending for you, specifically the listener. This is just in general terms. You should always get evaluated by a clinician before attempting anything at home. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's a general outline to kind of give you an idea of what to expect once you go into therapy and attempt to have your visual vertigo treated. By no means should you try this at home. There are a lot of layers to dizziness, so having an evaluation to determine what areas of dysfunction need to be treated first is very important. Absolutely. So in terms of definition, visual vertigo, what do we mean when we say visual vertigo? In quotes, dizziness provoked by full field repetitive or moving visual environments of visual patterns. So what does that mean? Essentially, a busy background, a busy environment can cause symptoms. Yeah, a lot of patients that can relate to symptoms like this will have difficulty going out to places like a grocery store or maybe even a parade or a festival, somewhere where you've got a lot of movement all around you in different areas um, where you can't quite pinpoint exactly uh, on a target to keep yourself vertical or keep yourself balanced well. So these these big, busy environments, subway stations, uh, um, grocery stores, department stores, they could be very symptom provoking. Yeah, and actually New York City, I would say, is prime stomping grounds for visual vertigo. If you have a vestibular disorder and you live in New York City, chances are you've experienced this in some fashion. Oh, yes. So what kind of typical symptoms would you have with vestibular vertigo? I'm sorry, visual vertigo. (laughs) Visual vertigo. So symptom-wise... You know, you can really experience anything, right? People experience different symptoms all the time and they describe their symptoms in different ways. But what we most often hear is some sort of dizziness, no matter how that person defines it. They can feel a little bit um, sweaty, even a little bit faint feeling. They might feel fatigued. A lot of people, I think anecdotally say that they feel nauseated. They start maybe even get sick vomiting wise, Um, imbalance, disorientation. You might feel unsteady on your feet when you're in those environments. You might feel like you have to hold on to something. And of course, you can experience a false sense of movement, which we know as vertigo. Yeah, a lot of these symptoms can also present almost like a panic attack. Uh, So I, I had a patient once that actually got stuck on the metro in D.C., 
she got on the train and it was just so much overload for her that all she could do was put her head down and wait until the train hit the end of the rail and had to figure out how to get home from there. Um, so none of these symptoms are comfortable and they're scary to experience when you're out in public and having to navigate the environment feeling this way. Okay, so when we think about what types of environments cause visual vertigo, we've mentioned a few already. Really busy places like grocery stores, Target, Costco, Trader Joe's, Walmart, all those places. If you have visual vertigo, you probably tend to avoid them or go during less busy hours even to, to hopefully decrease your symptoms a bit. But it really happens in any environment where there's motion of your visual surround while you're still. So this could even happen while you're sitting working and you have multiple screens open, let's say. Maybe you have dual screens for your work from home job now and you're scrolling back and forth. You're scrolling up and down the pages. Maybe there's a video on one screen, a lot of movement in your vision, even though you're still. Another similar example would be if you go to the movies and it's an action packed film. The movie screen is so big, you're sitting still, you're not moving at all, you're just looking, but there's so much going on on the screen that you might actually experience symptoms. What yeah, absolutely. Think about like uh, even just scrolling on a computer or um, one thing that always makes me think about this is that screensaver on Microsoft that has the endless stars that make you feel like you're flying through space. You know, that type of feeling can be miserable, especially if you are in a car. You know, I think of that same um, type of a situation when you're driving in a car and it's dark and either you have snow or rain pelting the windshield and you're just you can't orient yourself and you kind of feel a little disoriented going through something like that. So there's a lot of different things that you could be in a situation during your day where you experience visual vertigo. Yeah. Another one when I used to work in New York City that I heard all the time was either riding a subway and looking out through the window and just seeing the walls and the graffiti pass by and two standing at a subway station. So again, you're still and seeing the train come into the station or exiting the station. Another one too, is uh, if you're sitting on a train or in a car and the train or car next to you starts to move, that can cause a little bit of what we're going to talk about next, sensory conflict, and you can experience symptoms again because your vision is showing you motion even though you're not moving. Yeah, so it's, it's to kind of put it plainly, is your vision is, is kind of um, overruling everything else that's in your body telling you where you are in space, and your brain is relying more on those visual cues to make you feel stable. So the second that you're in an unstable environment, suddenly you start to feel unstable as well. But in a healthy individual without a vestibular disorder, with a well-functioning vestibular system, even in sensory conflict between your vestibular system, your vision, and your somatosensory system, your vestibular system is supposed to rule the roost. So if your vision is telling you one thing, your somatosensory system is telling you another, in healthy individuals, the vestibular system is supposed to say, vision, you're right, somatosensory system you're wrong or vice versa so that you actually don't get symptomatic so that conflict is sorted out appropriately. But there are plenty of examples in real life where you are in that conflict and especially if you have a vestibular disorder, your vestibular system might not be able to do so. 
Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about that idea of a sensory integration disorder. So, you know, there might be dysfunction in one of the systems that we rely on in our body to feed us information about where we are. Um, having this issue with integrating those sensory aspects is what's going to make you feel really symptomatic. It's going to create those error messages or conflicts. Um, we can kind of break it down into a visual vestibular or the body sensation. And those three kind of have to work together. And like you said, the vestibular system should rule the roost. But if there's an issue in the vestibular system with a couple of different diagnoses that we'll talk about, that's going to greatly affect how things are reweighted in the body. Where does the dependence of your, um, your sense of balance come from at that point? When you rely too much on your visual system, that's where we have a real big issue being in these busy environments and we start to experience uh, visual vertigo. Yeah, and we find in a, a, a lot of our patients with vestibular dysfunction that they end up having this increased depend dependency on their vision because they can no longer rely so much on their vestibular system. And maybe they have another comorbidity like neuropathy and they're not getting the most accurate information from their somatosensory system either. Yeah, absolutely. When you think about just general aging, uh, things tend to degenerate, right? So our vision tends to change and it's not uncommon to get peripheral neuropathy. And if we're not moving and we're not keeping that vestibular system healthy, all of a sudden it becomes very, very obvious that a lot of patients become very visually dependent. You'll hear a lot of people say, you know, it's hard to walk around at night in the dark. You'll go to do some foam testing with them for posturography and they almost fall like trees as soon as you tell them to close their eyes standing on the foam. So it's not unusual for us to become more and more and more reliant on our visual system just because we compensate quickly if we don't move with our vestibular system. And it's not uh, you know, uncommon for our somatosensory system to also degrade over time. So this is something that you will normally see in an aging population, let alone in a population that has vestibular dysfunction. Very true, very true. So when we think about the vestibular population, anecdotally, what diagnoses do we see visual vertigo or hear visual vertigo related symptoms most often? Typically migraine associated vertigo, vestibular migraines, um, post-concussion post uh, syndrome, Big time with post-concussion, yeah. big time, especially with 3PD or persistent postural perceptual dizziness. That one is also huge for having this issue with visual vertigo. Um, there's also another study that was uh, talked about on Timothy Haynes' website, dizzinessandbalance.com, that there's a really high correlation between um, vestibular neuritis and patients with uh, visual um, vertigo. So that's another thing to take, take into uh, consideration. Yeah, that one, that does surprise me a little bit, unless the symptoms are lingering, I feel. The longer the recovery takes, I yeah. think, and just anecdotally, again, this is not research-based by any means, but um, anecdotally, the longer it takes for that person with straight up vestibular neuritis to recover, I feel that the visual vertigo comes more heavily into play. Well, anytime you have a chronic vestibular issue, right? A lot of times people uh, don't get help right away. So they don't get compensated quickly. They don't get on the right path of finding their balance quickly. 
So now they've compensated and they've created all these bad habits of ways to function and to avoid creating more symptoms. So you end up in this really kind of chronic state of dizziness. And at that point, if we're not addressing other issues to help you feel better, that's when you start really depending on your visual cues and hence the visual dependence there. Right, right. So when we hear patients report to us, well, first we have questionnaires that we give and we can pick up on clues in the questionnaires as to whether or not this patient might be experiencing visual vertigo. And then if we do suspect visual vertigo, we can provide a specific questionnaire for visual vertigo, which gives visually stimulating environments and asks you to grade basically on a, on a line scale, pretty much zero to 10, and you draw a line where on that scale that you experience symptoms in that specific environment. So it may be in the grocery store, for example, is one specific scenario that the, that the uh, outcome measure provides. But also when we start to hear these symptoms that we think are related more to visual stimulation, how do we go about treating this? Yeah. Uh, so treatment is like we kind of mentioned at the top of the episode very individualized um but you're kind of going to approach it as you would normally approach somebody with vestibular dysfunction you're going to find their starting point you're going to find what type of exercises they can tolerate without provoking symptoms to make them so symptomatic that they can't function um, but starting at a ground level um, starting with maybe eyes closed practicing mental imagery kind of picturing balance and figuring out where they are in space, kind of relaxing that body is a great place to start. Once you get them with their eyes open and working with gaze stabilization and other type of vestibular rehab exercises, just like you would from the very basics, you start with a blank background, you can progress them to a busy background, like a checkerboard, or I have um, some fun magic eye stuff I'll put them in front of. Um, you can then put them in front of a TV or a busy clinic put them in a busy background. Like if you've got a busy clinic with a lot of crowds or things like that, um, you can have other types of things like a disco ball in your clinic. That's going to project um, different imagery around the clinic to create this visual busy environment. So going from kind of a very basic stable environment and slowly start to make it more busy, make it more um, movable, have more motion in there. And then that's when you can step into a misleading background, something that creates that visual conflict where the visual, the visual system is telling the brain you're moving when your body really needs to respond and say, no, we're not. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite progressions, I guess, I used to love taking my patients outside when I was seeing patients in the clinic. And what better place than a New York City street to first just have the patient stand while watching traffic go by, right? But then also progressing, as you mentioned, you're going you're gonna to find their starting point and then take stepping stones to work them up to real life. So in the streets of New York City, just as an example, you're never just standing still watching traffic go by. You're going to have to be in motion while watching the traffic, while watching the people, while watching the dogs, while watching the kids on the playground. It's constant motion. You're going to have to be able to do that statically and dynamically. And on different surfaces. So another reason why I like going outside is I'll put patients on gravel, on pine straw, on wood chips, um, sand if you have it available. You know, you can simulate this in the clinic on foam or through foam obstacle courses. 
Uh, I like taking a foam mat, like a thin, big foam mat, and I'll hide yes. obstacles underneath that so they have no idea which way things are going to give. Um, you know, you start to create this unstable environment that they really have to start navigating. And then you can get really creative now with creating these visual conflict uh, situations. So if I can get someone that can tolerate these, you know, we've worked them up, they're doing really, really well. I will sometimes progress them to virtual reality. And you don't need a lot of big fancy equipment for this um, because technology has come such a long way. I bought just a simple cheap pair of virtual reality goggles that you put a smartphone in right off of Amazon, I think for 30 bucks. And there are a lot of free apps. So I might start them out easy with, uh, there's an app through Discovery that will allow you to go scuba diving or snorkeling, swimming with fishes. And it's a nice slow movement in this environment where you can put a patient on foam, put these goggles on them, and now their vision's telling them they're underwater floating around with all these fish, but the patient has to learn to listen to their cues from their somatosensory system or their vestibular system to stay stable and vertical on the surface you have them sitting or standing on. And you can progress them to roller coasters or other type of crazy <laughs> environments that make them feel um, very off. But my word of advice for that is to make sure that you are standing close by because probably one of the first times you put them on a roller coaster, they are either going to go completely backwards or head dive, take a head dive off of the foam. So be there, yeah. be ready to catch. If you are bored and want some really fun entertainment, you can always YouTube funny virtual reality videos and the reactions of people the first time they're putting on the headsets. Oh my gosh, it's hysterical. Whether they fall over or they just scream their head off, they don't know what's happening or where they are. It's it's really quite funny to watch. But virtual reality for most tends to be toward the end of the progression, right? If if you have a patient in your clinic and you throw on a virtual reality headset on day one, they are probably not coming back to you. Nope, they're done. They're they're leaving. <laughs> So sometimes we might, might even start a little bit before virtual virtual reality with just 2D training, whether it's through optokinetic training or even I like to use specific video training videos. And the Emory Dizziness and Balance Clinic at Emory University has some great videos on YouTube that really can bring you into or one step closer to reality, but still while practicing in a safe environment. So they have grocery stores, they have uh, riding bikes through woods where trees are rapidly passing you. They have uh, busy busy patterns on floors, escalators. Yeah. Yeah. They have uh, bridges. They have a lot of great videos that can kind of help bridge the gap between doing the exercise safely and then getting out in reality, but then maybe virtual reality is in between there. Optokinetics, virtual reality, then the real world, potentially. Yeah, and the nice thing about the 2D training as well is that the patient can find this at home. So now this has become a part of their consistent uh, home exercise program. So you can do the virtual reality and things in the clinic that you know you need to be there with the patient to make sure they don't fall flat on their face but they can continue practicing this immersion type of therapy at home with their smartphone, maybe starting with a smaller surface and graduating to a laptop or a computer and then graduating to see if they can put it up on their TV or something that might be a little bit bigger and just watching those videos to see if they can decrease their sensitivity to that visual conflict. And of course you're throwing in some other things throughout your treatment, right? So we are working on some habituation 
because a lot of time these patients are not moving and any sort of movement is going to drive them crazy. So walking activities, gait with head turns, um, even just your uh, habitual um, foldovers where you have the patient bow forward and sit back up and getting used to changing positions, Brant Daroff, things like that is going to help them be able to kind of tolerate daily movement and within these busy environments. And of course, if there's some sort of underlying vestibular dysfunction because they've had a hypofunction or something like that, you want to address that as, as well with the necessary exercises. So again, when we're talking about treatment and how to progress, you know, if you're listening to this, don't try this at home on your own to figure this out. Make sure you're getting an evaluation because determining where to start is crucial to make sure that you're moving in the right direction. With vestibular therapy, it's not no pain, no gain. We have to really take it slow, listen to the body, and make sure that we are not um, over-exacerbating those symptoms in order to make sure we keep you within a therapeutic treatment level so that you can progress slowly without agitating or flaring up anything. Right, right. The whole, the whole premise of vestibular rehab tends to be about desensitizing patients to their stimulating factors. So in this case, it's, it's the same. It's all about habituation, desensitizing with repetition over time. Um, I do have a case study that I did with, her name is Mackenzie Root. She now treats out in Oregon, if anyone out there needs a therapist. Um, but we did a case study, a, a case series actually on some patients who we tried optokinetics with we got them to a certain point, but then it kind of plateaued. They still had these symptoms in real life. We introduced virtual reality. We were able to get them much closer to their prior level of function, which was feeling pretty normal in real life. So that was that was pretty cool, seeing that progression from 2D to 3D to real life. The other thing I wanted to mention too is that sometimes you can have coping strategies or little tips and tricks if you're in an environment that you can't get out of, for example, you're meeting your boyfriend's family for the first time at a busy restaurant, um, there might be some, some tools that you can put in your back pocket. So maybe facing a wall that is stable, not moving, versus facing the open restaurant, seeing people walk by, seating yourself away from busy areas like the bathroom or the bar or the kitchen, um, checking out the menu ahead of time before you go to the restaurants. You already know what you're going to order. You don't have to scroll through anything, especially with so many menus being on phones these days due to COVID. And even positioning yourself at the table, such as the head of the table, so that you can maintain eye contact throughout conversation without moving your head so much, without looking to your left and right and seeing the busy background behind you, you're focused more kind of just straight ahead of you with hopefully a solid wall behind the person across the table. Yeah, those are some really, really good tips. Um, some questions that came through in the conference too is about how to tolerate um, sitting on your computer. Because a lot of people have visual vertigo from their computer and Vita actually had written up something about this a while back. But one of the things that they think is causing this is the flicker rate of screens on computers. So they had made some suggestions um, such as a faster refresh rate for your computer screen, um, even projecting your computer screen um, with a projector that doesn't have a flicker rate, right? Because they're using the projector to project the image on the wall. Um, using a tint on your, on your laptop and changing the color has sometimes been helpful as well. 
Um, so taking a couple of tips at home, there's a night time or night shift mode on a lot of Apple um, products that will allow you to kind of take away some of that harsh blue light. They also recommend wearing um, blue light filtering glasses to help with that as well. So there's an abundance of different resources and tips and tricks out there to try to help decrease that visual vertigo with computer screens and technology, which is important because we kind of live on technology these days. Screens are a part of everyday life. And if you can't look at a screen, it's almost hard to function. Yeah. And another little tip and trick too, I know we've mentioned this in prior podcasts and certainly during the virtual vestibular conference was the 2020-20 rule. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing a lot of scrolling or you have spreadsheets on your computer and it's just too symptomatic, every 20 minutes, take a 20 second break and look at a steady object 20 feet away. Really simple, easy, quick, and it can really make a difference in the accumulation of your symptoms because you're allowing that rest break for your symptoms to calm down before you start work again. Absolutely. And, you know, if you're a patient and you're listening or a potential patient and listening, um, just know that this is going to be something that's not a quick fix. So desensitizing and working on this is going to be hard work. You're most likely going to feel worse before you feel better. Um, it's going to push you outside your comfort zone because you have been kind of sitting in your comfort zone, unable to do a lot because of your symptoms. So just know that this is not something that's going to come fast. It's not going to come easy. And it's going to take a lot of hard work and consistency on your end, um, as well as pairing up with a trained professional to get you to the next level of where you want to be. So if you're contemplating reaching out to somebody, um, please do find somebody who specializes in vestibular therapy, talk to them first, make sure that they sound like they know what they're doing and take those steps to kind of get yourself feeling better because you have to be able to go out and go grocery shopping. You have to be able to go out and enjoy life. You can't just accommodate your symptoms and stay home all the time. It's just only going to make them worse. Yeah, exactly. And in any vestibular rehab, pretty much remember that our object is to actually stimulate your symptoms. So we again want to find that perfect starting point where we stimulate your symptoms, but not too much. With repetition, you get better with that specific dosage, and then we progress from there. So certainly reach out to a therapist in your area. Uh, if visual vertigo is a problem for you, if busy environments are frustrating, if you avoid target, because I don't know anyone who wants to avoid target unless they have visual vertigo. <laughs> Definitely not me. <laughs> no. But anything else? I think we pretty much covered the basics. Um, you guys, if anybody's listening, you think we left something out, you know, shoot us an email, let us know, um, leave a comment. Uh, we want to hear from you guys. You know, you have been really, really great in letting us know what you want to hear for future episodes. We've got more coming up. I think we've got another three left in our season before we take a little break for the holidays. So if there's something you're dying to hear, you know, give us a shout out, let us know. And we'll leave links in the show notes for Timothy Haynes' website, dizzinessandbalance.com, and a couple of the, of the uh, resources that we had mentioned earlier in the podcast. So you guys have the hookup. Um, be sure to check out Vita for the provider directory. If you're in search for a vestibular therapist near you, you can search for them based on um, area, city, zip code, um, anything along those lines to find if someone's uh, treating near you. Um, and remember, everything we talked about in treatment uh, in this episode is purely just talk. Everybody's individualized. Please seek uh, advice from a medical professional before trying anything at home. 
Absolutely. And don't forget that if you're in one of the states we're licensed in, we're happy to treat you as well. You can find us at balancingactrehab.com. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. If you're interested in finding us on social media or the web, you can visit www.vestibular.today for more resources, including testing, treatment, and educational videos, blogs, continuing education classes, and resources including clinic equipment recommendations, suggested tests, and BPMBV treatment charts. Search Vestibular Today and Balancing Act Rehab on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, be sure to check out Balancing Act Rehab at www.balancingactrehab.com, especially if you think you would benefit from vestibular therapy. We are your girls. The information on this podcast is not intended to replace the care provided by your qualified health professional or to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on Talk Dizzy to Me. Please contact us at Balancing Act Rehab if you think you could benefit from vestibular therapy.